All right, good morning. Oh, there we go. Um, I, uh, man, I, I actually was super excited this morning to see the snow. Uh, I meant to give you a video of my dog because I know some of y'all have been wanting to meet my dog, but, uh, but he had his first snow this morning, and so I got to take him out in the snow, and uh, it, was, it was hilarious. He actually loves the snow so far, so we'll see how that goes, but um, um, it woke me up in a hurry, though, to go out in the snow and, and play around with my dog, so... I'm alert today. Uh, David, thank you for singing. Like, uh, I teared up. I know I do that a lot, but I teared up when you, you sang All the Way My Savior Leads Me. Uh, they took that out of songbooks like a long time ago, and that was one of my favorite. Actually, I think might be my favorite song, and I love that so much. So let's go ahead and uh, open with a prayer, and we'll get into our text. Um, oh my God, I just I want to um, bow my spirit before you, and I pray that we will as your body uh, open up our hearts and open up your minds. I want to lift up God to you, your this family, and especially uh, anyone that just might have been brought here this morning, um, might be new here. And I ask God that um, that not not only would I get out of the way of this message, but uh, that every individual in here that that's something we'll do that we will allow you to lead us that we'll submit everything to you, that you'll guide our hearts and our minds in your word today. Uh, it's in the name of Christ I come before you. Amen. Um, yesterday, I got to go out to the Lanier's house, and uh, it's it it so awesome that they got this really beautiful barn and uh, some horses, and uh, Melinda and I went out, and I, I love horses. Um, I'm terrified of horses, too. And we went out in this barn, and there were there was I didn't know that they were just going to be there. Like there they are, and they just walk up to you and they tower over you, and they're monsters, you know. And it was so impressive to watch Bailey and Peggy how they could control and kind of. And I'm thinking, man, you're so small. How do they submit to this, you know? And it brought back a memory when I was younger. A good friend of mine, uh, his name was Josh Markham. Uh, he and I would uh, go out on the horses, Zappy and Apache, and we'd go get lost in the woods and in the mountains of, of Ecuador. And uh, we would go to a place where his mom wouldn't be able to find us so we could do dangerous stuff. And uh, so we had this thing where we liked to climb trees, and we would climb. I can't remember what they were, if they were birch trees or sycamore trees or something, but we would climb these trees, and we started with small ones like this, and the idea was you would climb to the top and then bend it to the ground like you're in a Robert Frost poem, you know. You would bend it to the ground, and we kept challenging each other to go higher and higher and do bigger trees. And eventually, we were doing trees that would go all the way up to uh, the pinnacle here, I mean, all the way up to the top, really tall trees. And you climb to the top, and you would just slightly bend back, and the tree would lower you to the ground. One day we're doing this, and, and Josh had me beat. He got the biggest tree he could find, and as soon as he started to bend it, you heard it crack. And the entire tree just goes. And not only does he go crashing to the ground, but the tree falls on top of him, and, and it does. It breaks his ribs. And, and uh, we're on these horses in the middle of nowhere. We went back to the road, and, and I, I, I'm trying to remember the rest of the story, how it went, but I'm, I believe his mom came and got him. But I remember I had to take a horse back by myself, and I didn't know where I was. And 
I, I have no sense of direction, and I'm lost in the wilderness, and I remember trying to get this horse, and, and I loved the horse, but what, what eventually happened, I love trying to control and everything, but what eventually happened is I loosened the reins, and what does the horse do? The horse knew where home was. The horse starts going home. And I, I shared the story with a couple of people that you know, know horses this morning. They have all kinds of stories about how that works and how ingenious it is. And I was thinking how powerful the illustration is with the Word of God, and especially Romans 8. Have you ever noticed that, that sometimes in a Bible study, in fact, I would say in my experience, even usually in a Bible study, there's a direction you want to go in the text, And you see that happen, you know, where he's like, this is where I want to go. This is a message I want to bring. If I hear the word adoption, man, that makes me think of this. If I hear the word heirs, that makes me think of this. But to let go and say, I'm going to let the text lead me where the text is going to lead me. And sometimes that's scary. There's going to be verses where you're like, I don't like where this passage is taking me. And we get into the Greek and we get into the history and we get into our philosophy because we have all these tools in our shed to keep the text from going where the text wants to go. And we don't like where the text is going sometimes. And there's so many examples of that that I can think of where you're just sitting there going, I don't like where the Bible appears to be taking me right now. So can we just do a message that is influenced by this chapter? rather than directed by this chapter. And I have been guilty of that a lot of times in my life. Let's let the Bible influence our theology, but don't don't let it direct it, because where will that lead us? And, And there are a lot of passages in the Bible where that applies, and Romans 8 is one of those. And so we get into this. I'm going to encourage you, man, we have got to get into the practice of letting go of the reins and just saying, I'm going to go where this takes me. I'm going to go where the word of God leads me right now. And it opens with this verse. It says, as many who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. This idea of being led by the spirit in your life, letting go of the reins and saying, I want the spirit to lead me. I think in stages in my life, I think simply there is non-Christian Jeff. Then there is Christian Jeff in waiting to be resurrected Jeff. There's those three stages, and I think like that. But in Gary's class this morning, it came out, it comes out all through Scripture that that's not the way it is at all, that my life is a process of moving forward and of growing and of changing and in not staying stagnant. It's about constantly moving forward. I don't know if how many of y'all have been on a trek. How many of y'all, I'm just out of curiosity, how many of you climbed a mountain higher than 12,000 feet? Okay, wow, this is impressive. 14,000 feet? How many of y'all have done it? Man, now you know you're in Colorado. There's a lot of hands here. How many of you have done it with milt? (laughs) Wow, actually, that's super impressive. That's crazy. So, is milt here today? He's not good. I can go off now. Okay, this is awesome. Oh, he is here. Never mind. I have another illustration. (laughs) You almost got me in trouble. But if you go with milt... If you go with milk, man, there's so many times that you're, you're with him and you're like, no, I'm not feeling good. I'm going to sit down and rest. All right, let's keep moving. <laughs> milk, my leg's broken. I know. Let's, let's keep going. Let's, let's keep, keep, keep coming. Keep coming. And he keeps going. And there's actually a lot of wisdom to that. There's truth in this. And even though that it seems harsh at the time and it's difficult, um, the problem is this. If you stop and rest too long, you're, you're not going to move anymore. You're, you're done. And it's actually worse on you if you stop. And, 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 and that's what tends to happen in our faith is all of a sudden, you know, I get to a point where I'm like, I'm not growing anymore. I need to rest. I'm tired of this. 
and it's hard to get it moving again. And a lot of you know what I'm talking about. You feel like sometimes you might be there now where you're replacing your faith, where you're like, I'm staying within the lines. I'm staying within the borders. I'm, I'm, I'm walking according to God's, but I'm not moving forward. I'm not growing. I'm not maturing. And, and I, I hope you can do this. It's the most encouraging thing you can do if you're climbing a mountain is to just look back. That for me, that is the most encouraging thing to do because everything feels monotonous when I'm climbing a mountain. I hate it. I hate it that nothing seems to change. There's so many false peaks. But when you stop and you look back, and you're like, wow, look at where I was, though. Look at where I used to be and look at where I am now. And I hope you can do that. I hope you're at a place where you can stand and say, five years ago, this is where I was. And man, I won't camp there too long because I'm thinking of individuals in this room that could stand up and give you a story. Five years ago, this is where I was. Look where I am now. Look at what has happened in my life. And there's so many accounts of that in this room. And I hope you're one of those that can look back and say, that is where I was. Look at where God has brought me. It says this, for all who were led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, being led by the Spirit. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I want to show you how beautiful that verse is. You're familiar with it. But this is what Jesus said. And I'm going to begin with just John 5, 17. He says this, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father. He does it again in Mark 14. Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. You know, do this sometime. Just do a word search in the Old Testament. Just really look through it. You know how rare it is that somebody would ever pray to God, my Father? It doesn't happen. Now, God is referred to as a father to Israel. There are references. But the idea that I would come before God and say, Abba, Father, is not in the Old Testament. And so when Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. My Father, who art... I'll go King James on you. My Father, who art in heaven. The most controversial part of that whole prayer are the first words. This is how you should pray, my Father. This is how you should pray, Abba. And the idea here, and and it's so unfortunate that so much of this verse gets caught up into the debate of daddy or not daddy. I, I think we miss the point when we go there. The idea is not that. The idea is the cry. And what is the cry in the context? It's this. I'm stuck. I'm in the flesh. I'm in the pit. I'm hurting. And it's the cry. My dad, my father, bring me out of this. Bring me into something new. And the idea of the text isn't simply the closeness of the relation. It's the cry, bring me out of this into where you want to take me, into the freedom that you want to take me into. Um, And that's the beauty of the opening part of this passage. It says, I want you to look at God as your father. But then he concludes this. He says, but if God is your father, think this through. 
That means you are heirs. And this is what the text says. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs, fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now there's so much in in just these few verses, but he begins with this. If you are children, then heirs. What is he referencing here? He's referencing, most likely, Abraham and the promises that were made to Abraham. And if you were descendants of Abraham, that means you were heirs of that promise. And now he looks to the Gentiles and he looks to people that were foreigners and aliens and he says, you also are children. Wait, wait a second. If you're children, that means you are heirs of that promise. These are the promises that were made to Abraham. Abraham, you and Sarah are going to have a baby at a hundred years of age. Abraham, leave your homeland and your kinsmen and go to a land I'll show you. Abraham, from you and your descendants, all families of the earth will be blessed. But in Genesis chapter 12, three promises are given. Land, descendants, and blessings. This is what would be poured out on him. And I won't spend too much time um, on this because there's a whole lot to develop here when it comes to Abraham and what was being promised. But people will look at it today and they'll still go back to the Old System and say, well, he was promised the land of Israel. Therefore, Christians today will someday inherit the land of Israel. That's called Zionism. and, And I am not offended if somebody has that belief. I'm sure somebody in here does. I'm not offended at all. I'm pretty sure that's not what he's saying. But it represents, just like the temple represented something greater, the land represented something greater, circumcision represented something greater. All of this is true. He's saying the promise is for you and it's big. Now here's the crazy part, and this is what I get the most excited about when I'm in Scripture like this. I get more excited about what we don't know than what we do know. And I'm going to... I'm going to show you how that's what, where Paul is going. He's not going to talk to us about the promise. He's going to say, we don't know. In fact, John says the same thing, but we're going to get there in just a second. He says that we cry, Abba, Father, and then he goes into a series of groaning. Creation groans. We groan. We're longing for something bigger, for something better than this. Um, I didn't think this through, so I'll have to do that later, but I'm still going to say it anyway. I think it's true that within every single person, within every single individual, there is a groaning, a longing. C.S. Lewis referenced this, a groaning for something greater. Uh, We can distract ourselves with things in this world. We can distract ourselves with all kinds of things, but there is a groaning for something bigger than this. My favorite word in the Bible, I'm convinced, has got to be hope. Has got to be the idea that there is something great, amazing, and beautiful to look forward to. That it's not the good old days, and this is where I'm, I wish I was. Be- it's man, I'm longing for to go ahead and to go forward and to go where God is leading me, and longing for what He's prepared for me. I'm going to go on in the text. It says this: For the creation was sub- subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is, now this is what I want you to, (laughs) I got so excited about this, check this out. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I got excited about this idea that when I was younger, I thought the Bible answered all questions. In fact, I remember being taught that the Bible answers all questions. And now I'm going to tell you, not even close. Uh, The Bible does not answer your questions. And a lot of times when I'm in a Bible study, for example, Revelation 21. I was reading Revelation 21, it was a while back, and one time I realized... Wow, this chapter that's talking about heaven, streets of gold, all of these famous verses, isn't talking about heaven at all. And when you get into the study, you start realizing, wow, he's talking about the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven. And then Hebrews makes reference to it, and it turns out he's probably talking about the church. And he's probably talking about the new era he's bringing in. Well, that's great. That's exciting. That's a good study. But where does that leave me? That leaves me not having a clue about heaven. I don't know what heaven is now. I thought there were streets of gold and mansions made out of jewels. If there's not, then what is it? And I'm left having to say, I have no clue what heaven is. No idea. Well, what about the resurrected body? And you know how many sermons and classes I've heard on the resurrected body and what it's going to be like, and there's references made to the Garden of Eden or whatever else. And did you know that the Bible not only does not tell us about all of these things, did you know that the Bible tells us that it does not tell us about all of these things? How about this? (laughs) This is 1 John 3. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. You don't get to know. Uh, It says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 12. I know a man that was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things a man's not permitted to tell or incapable of tell. Um, 2 Corinthians 9.15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, unspeakable gift. What's ahead? It's like this package you're getting at Christmas time, and you know it's good. Your dad can't wait to give it to you. This is going to change your life, but you don't know what it is. And the beauty of the resurrection and the beauty of the hope is that God actually does leave us with this. I'm not telling you, but it's good and it's beautiful. You know, and I've mentioned this before, that um, even the idea of the resurrection in the Old Testament looks to be a question. There are verses that seem to indicate maybe there's a resurrection. There's a lot of verses in the Old Testament that seems to indicate they don't have a clue about a resurrection. And that's why in the New Testament you've got Sadducees and Pharisees. They don't know. God kept it a secret and he unveiled things in Christ. And there's a whole lot that he's still going to unveil for us. But the the beauty of it is we don't know. We're only given this. That the righteous, Matthew 13, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Romans 4, Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world. 
1 Corinthians 3, 21. How about this one? All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. That verse has always messed with my head. C.S. Lewis had this to say about it. It's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that all the dullest, most uninteresting, that, that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to, and some of you have somebody in mind, <laughs> may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. I don't know, it's, it's one of the craziest things he ever said, but I love the idea behind what he said. If I could really see my brothers and sisters, if I could see somebody through the, that lens of the Spirit and see who they are, and what they're destined to become. It's amazing. Now, I don't want you to get misled. It's not about us. It's not about a mansion. It's not about my hot tub in the sky. It's not about all of that stuff. I know, and I'm right there with you, because so many of you are thinking, it's about relationship. I just want to be with my Father. I just want to be with my God. And you are dead on. That is what it's about. But God promises us this. Man, what it will be in the resurrection, what, it, what I'm promising you is amazing. It's beautiful. That is the not yet part of this. You are heirs, and that's what's ahead. But for right now, you are children of God. We are children of God destined for growth. What I was encouraged by in this section, this, this group of verses here, is this idea of moving forward. And I want you to just place yourself real quick. There's, there's two groups of people in this room. I have probably a lot more than that. But there's this one group of per- people that you're sitting here and you're like me. And you grew up and my parents are right here. They took me to church. And I was bored to tears in church when I was a little kid. I could can't count. I could tell you how many light bulbs were in all of the fixtures in University Avenue Church of Christ. That's what I did. I counted them. I could tell you how many purple panes of stained glass there were and how many yellow stains. Because I didn't want to pay attention. I was bored. Okay, I praise God that they took me. I praise God I was a part of it. But it was one of these things where I felt distant from the songs. I felt distant from everything that's happening. I didn't get it. And then when we talk about baptism and we talk about all of these ideas about giving my life to Christ, I'm like many of you, and I'm not, I don't want to be one of these preachers that goes over the youth group. But, oh, yeah, but I will. Um, but but I, one of these things where I'm like standing here and saying, I know what I should do. I know what I should do to give my life to Christ. But I don't want to. Not yet, and you're bored, and you're stuck. And I know I shouldn't play video games every day of my life, and I know I shouldn't give my life to whatever junk I'm giving my life to. But I don't want to move forward. Not yet. It's not time. And we get that, but the problem is it happens again in our Christian walk, doesn't it? Once I become a Christian, once I'm in Christ, once I'm already where I'm supposed to be, it's all of a sudden it becomes sort of a thing where I'm like, well, here I am. I'm waiting. I love you, God. But this idea of growing and moving forward, there's this small itch in the back of my mind that says, "Mm, man, now you're getting into salvation by works. No, you're not. You're You're getting into works because of salvation. Remember Remember Jacob? He worked seven years to get Rachel, and he got Leah. Now, poor Leah becomes the model of a letdown, right? He worked seven years for Rachel, and he gets Leah. I remembered the story wrong. I thought he worked seven more years to get Rachel. That's not how the story goes, is it? He got Rachel. 
And then he worked seven more years and it was like nothing. Why? Because he was working out of grace. I've already got her. Now I'm going to work and show my thanksgiving. I'm not going to work for her anymore. I've already got her. Now I'm going to work to show my gratitude. Now I'm going to pour myself out because of what has happened in my life. I don't even know if it's on purpose, but I think part of it might be. This is the idea of the story. I work and I move forward because of what God has done in my life. Because of where he's led me. And so it's sort of like, I don't know if you've heard the illustration of the two twins in the womb. And one twin asks the other twin, do you believe in life after birth? And the other twin says, no, no one's ever gone outside of the womb and come back. I don't, I think this is all there is. So you don't believe in a mom? No, I don't believe in a mom. And they have this debate about whether there's a mom or whether there's not a mom and whether there's life after. And the whole idea when you're in the womb is to develop and to get ready and to become who you're supposed to become. But the whole purpose was, is birth. And then when the child is born and all of a sudden all you thought was, was this womb and you realize, man, there is so much more. And you see the eyes of your mom and you see, man, this is it. This is what God has destined me for. This is how Paul thought. We're in this world and we're developing and we're growing into the very image of God. And, and, and that's the idea that the greatest gift that Paul felt given was the fact that he was being conformed to the very image of Christ. And that was the purpose of this life, moving forward, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. This kind of thinking. It was never intended to be, I'm here and I'm in waiting until someday God takes me. It's I am here and if I am developing and I'm going to cause my God to smile, I'm going to do something. And so the whole beauty of scripture is this. In the Old Testament, God said, I'm going to set my spirit among you. I'm going to set my tent among your tents. And the beauty of it is this. Every morning they would wake up and they would look to the sky. And if there was a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, and it would either rise and they would follow it wherever it went. And it would come back down and it says they didn't know if they were camping out for two days or two months or two years. They had no idea, but they kept moving. Following God's spirit where it went. When Jesus came and he called his apostles, Peter, Andrew, James, John, come follow me. They would go and they would heal somebody and then they would move on. And they would go to Galilee and then they would go to Bethesda and then they would go to Nain. They would go through all these towns, but you had to get up every day and say, where are you leading me today? What's next? And that's when the Christian life becomes an adventure. When you wake up in the morning and say, my God, where are you leading me today? What do you want me to do? Is this person that I've come into contact with, is this just another person I'm shaking hands with? Or did you lead me to this person? Did you lead me here to represent you? And for those that are not in Christ, that's the whole pain of not being in Christ to me is this. The whole pain is that life has no journey, no purpose. And Christ comes and he says, this is the promise I'm giving you. Life has a journey. It has a purpose. It has worth. It has beauty. Just pick up your mat and walk and follow me. And that's, that's the challenge I want to give some of you for if you're not in Christ this morning. If that's not a decision that you've made, 
Man, I remember when I was a kid, it was hilarious. At this part of the sermon, you could tell by the preacher's voice that it was the invitation, and all the songbooks would open, and you heard the... But I just remember not being able to hear it. Not being able to hear it. And to hear not a preacher's voice in your life. Not a church's voice, but to hear God's voice in your life. To really hear that. Rise, take your mat and walk. Come follow me. And can you imagine if you were the, the guy in John 9, for example, if you were that guy that uh, was born blind and Jesus comes and he spits in the ground and he rubs mud in your eyes and he says, I want you to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Can you imagine just hanging out with this guy? And I'm going to touch on baptism for a second. I always feel, we were in Romans 6 this morning, made me think of it. And you're walking with him and he says, man, it's by grace that I am what I am. Why do I need to go to Siloam? Man, he said to go wash him. He said, just go wash in the pool of Siloam. You'll be able to see. It's by grace that I'm saved. It's by grace that I can see. Why do I need to wash? Man, all he has to do is wash in the pool of Siloam. And are you kidding me right now? Go to Siloam. Naaman, same story. I think it's 2 Kings 5. Naaman the leper. Man, I've got leprosy. I'm dying here. I'm dying in my leprosy, which represents sin, kind of in the Old Testament. And he sends for Elisha, the prophet. Elisha comes to him, and he says, man, if you just go wash seven times in the Jordan River, you're going to be cleansed. And he says, man, you're a prophet. All you need to do is wave your hand over me. That water doesn't mean a thing. And then he leaves him angry, but more importantly, he leaves him still in his leprosy. He still leaves him still in his leprosy. Finally, finally, the servant comes to him. He says, man, if he asked you to do anything, if he asked you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? So he goes, and he's washed seven times in the Jordan, and immediately it says his skin became like a young baby. And I would ask this question, was Naaman cured by his, from his leprosy by any work that he did? Would he walk out of that and say, it's by my works that I'm cleansed? It was by grace and by grace alone that he was cleansed from his leprosy. By grace alone. But the problem is this, the arrogance that I'm going to say, I'm not going to do what you've asked. I'm not going to move forward. You said it was by grace. Therefore, I'm planting my feet right here. That is, that is not an understanding of the grace of God. Um, when you are immersed into Christ, when you are baptized into Christ, it says you are baptized into his death. Why? So that you can participate in his resurrection. And I'm just like some of you. I hope anybody who knows me knows I don't worship water. Okay? The idea, and I know we have made sometimes too much of the water. Not really. We've made too little of grace is the idea. But the idea that I would just be immersed in the water and there I am a Christian waiting. I'm going to be saved someday. Yeah, that's weak. That's not true. Baptism represents being immersed into his teaching. Being immersed, when I'm immersed into the water, I'm saying I'm immersing myself into who you are and into your grace and be raised to walk in newness of life. And the challenge I'm going to say to anyone in here that's not a Christian that hasn't made that decision is this. Don't wait. This life is about one purpose. It's to develop in the womb and it's to move forward. And it's terrifying to me that someone would sit and they would listen to sermons and they would listen to messages and that they would keep their plant, feet planted and not move forward. But I think that a lot of us in the church and in, in our own faith are in an equally dangerous position. When we plant our feet, 
And we just say, this is where I'm at. This is where God has led me. And I'm no longer growing in my faith. I'm no longer being conformed to the image of Christ. And when that starts happening, um, the results are devastating. And they have been in my life. It's devastating. And so I want to pray that God uh, would continue to light a fire in you. Um, It would light a fire in us that we would be people led by the Spirit. Led by God's Word. And you'd take your hands off the reins, in a sense, and say... This is going to be a wild ride. This is going to be crazy. But if I let this text lead me, and if I let the Spirit lead me, it's unpredictable, it's wild, it's beautiful, but most importantly, it leads home. And it leads into something incredibly beautiful. It says in Proverbs, the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter to the full light of day. Uh, God, I just want to lift those words to you, and I thank you for your word. Uh, God, And uh, I know there's fear, uh, God, in, 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 in so many of your people today and, and in me. Uh, fear to really let you lead and to take your word for exactly what it says and to allow it to move our lives forward. But I pray, God, that this life would not be simply a time in waiting. I pray, God, that it would be an adventure. Um, I pray, Father, that we would get excited about every single day, that we would look forward to it, to every relationship, to every encounter, and say, God, I just want to make you smile today. I want to listen to the voice of your spirit. I praise you, God, for calling us sons and daughters, for giving us a spirit that cries, Abba, Father, and uh, for loving us like children and even promising that we're heirs of something so much greater. It's in the name of Christ we offer our lives and our prayer to you. Amen. Thank you. Let's stand, let's stand and sing.